0: This is The Five of My Life with me, Nigel Marsh. The series where I talk to notable people about five of their defining things. The way it works is my guests always choose a favourite film, book, song, place and possession. They tell me their choices in advance so I can research them, but they don't tell me why they've chosen them. That's the subject of our conversation. The reason I devised this series is I wanted to create a slightly different way to gain an insight into the real lives and thoughts of prominent people. Sylvia Koliker is an impossible woman to pigeonhole, every bit as warm and vivacious in person as she is on screen. I loved hearing the stories of her choices, whether it be a surprising reunion with a long-lost relative, her hot brother marrying her best friend, or the family's beloved Christmas traditions. It was a delight to learn more of the person behind the celebrity chef persona. Sylvia, welcome to Five of My Life. Thanks for having me. Now, you have a famously diverse career, opera singer, actress, TV presenter, but I want to start by congratulating you and thanking you for all those fabulous cookbooks.
1: Oh, well, thank you for saying that. There's
0: five of them now. Amazing. I have been fed many, many, many gorgeous meals uh, courtesy of you. And uh, the latest one that I've seen, Simple Italian, uh, might even get me to cook.
1: I love to hear that because that's the sort of the, 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 the theme of the book is that anyone can cook. It's just a bunch of ingredients, put them together in a pan and boom, you've got
0: a meal. Well, well, you are a genius. If you get me to do it, which you might, then you are a genius. And I just think it's... I'd love to claim that. (laughs) Now, we're going to start on Five My Life, as is traditional, with your film. And I am so glad that you chose this. You chose the musical adaptation, the 1970 musical adaptation of Charles Dickens's 1843 book, A Christmas Carol
1: which in fact uh, was called Scrooge in the adaptation. And the,
0: the, the poster said, what the Dickens have they done with Scrooge? I know,
1: I mean, <laughs> what's not to love about that? Um, there's, there's a beautiful story behind this. I mean, um, 1970, uh, which was the release that predates me. But I discovered this film in the 80s when I was little and um, my uncle, who was a movie buff, found a, a, vid- a t- videotape back then And he said, "Oh, this movie—you know, Albert Finney is a great actor, and Alec Guinness from Star Wars is in it." And so we watched it, not at Christmas time. I think it was must have been like July, and I was just blown away. And I watched it with him and my mom, and there was music, and Albert Finney gave like the performance of a lifetime playing Ebenezer Scrooge. And I was really that young that I actually didn't even know that there was a novel of A Christmas Carol, and which I'd discovered since, obviously. <laughs> but what happened was that we loved that film so much that from that day onwards, every Christmas Eve, so I'm talking about from, I would say maybe it was 1983 when I first watched it, from that day onward, every Christmas Eve, We watch that movie. And if I'm not with my Italian family, I make my Australian family watch it. On Christmas Eve, we watch Scrooge with Albert Finney and we sing along to the songs because it's been a while now, let's be honest. And so we know the lyrics and the songs are fabulous. One of them was nominated for an Oscar
0: it, it's, it's so lovely hearing you talk like that because I, I watched it in your honour. I hadn't seen it before. Did you, you really? Well, of course, like that, I, that's what I do all oh the time. Oh my gosh, but I'm I so excited. went back into the house and poor old Eve, my, my youngest daughter, I was dancing around singing because it's... Thank you very <laughs> much. Thank you very <laughs> much. It's, it, it's so joyous. It, it is joyous. And, and Albert Finney, who is a beautiful man, but in that film, he's he is screwed. It,
1: the makeup because it... It was shot in 1970s. I think it was a BBC production. The makeup is astonishing because he would have been, I'd say late 30s maybe back then, really dashing because obviously you go back in time and you see him as a young man and you go like, oh, my goodness, what have they done? And the makeup is so flawless and the the cameras really come close. And, you know, these days you can see a really bad makeup job on digital cameras and wig lines and you go like, okay, I've disengaged, Mm mm-mm. Wait, there you believe that the actor is that old and then the the cameos of the ghost of christmas past the ghost of christmas present who chews up the scenery with his personality and the milk of human kindness please give me a gallon of that i mean what's in that cup I, 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 what's in that goblet let's be honest
0: <laughs> and there's some quotes from it i just love it there's uh, there's one where poor old Bob Cratchit, oh, he's so lovely. Isn't he lovely? Oh, and he goes, oh, you know, would you, you know, want to come for lunch? And, and Scrooge says, if there's one thing in the world more nauseating than Christmas, it's a happy marriage. <laughs> 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 and then there's another one where, and I need to ask you a question here, where he says, this um, is Scrooge, I hate people. Life is full of cretinous wretches. I <laughs> loathe people. When I see the indolent classes sitting on their asses, drinking from their glasses, I abhor people. <laughs> and
1: you go. That is a G. That's, uh, that's, that's, That is the lyrics of one of the songs yeah. that he sings as he exits his office in Camden and he walks around the markets. And it's Christmas Eve. Everybody's excited and bustling and selling things and buying things. And there's a lot of people and he's definitely a bit agoraphobic, I would like to say. And so he goes on on this rant and then he gets bullied by a a mob of children. That's right. Like, okay, he's the guy that we're going to
0: pick on. So I have to ask Sylvia, have you got a Scrooge in your family that sits there with a face like a back of a bus at Christmas or is it all Italian joy?
1: No, we are so Christmassy, it's disgusting. I mean we, you know we still watch the movie every Christmas Eve and and, um, and 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 it's the tradition that's been passed on to you know all the subsequent children that we've had since so all my children and the my nieces and nephews, they have to watch
0: Scrooge. I, I love that in, in, they watch
1: it in Italian ah, because it's, well, okay. I grew up watching it in Italian dubbed. But the, the the songs were kept in English, so it was only when uh, I you know moved to the English speaking country and I had to spend and I, I was spending Christmas Eve with um, English speaking fellows that uh, I thought, oh, I should probably watch it in the, with the original audio, which is fantastic. <laughs> Hello, <laughs> yes, Albert Finney. Yeah.
0: yeah. Thank you very much. Yeah, uh, uh, and
1: Tom (laughs) Jenkins. Oh, my God, that character.
0: Now, we're moving from 1970 to 2011 for your book on Five My Life. Uh, You've chosen the modern masterpiece, My Brilliant Friend by Elena Ferrante, about a friendship and growing up in Naples in the 1950s. Tell us why you've chosen that.
1: Um, It's it's just a wonderful exploration of the (laughs) various... Um, intricacies of female friendship, and the the writing explores it in such minute detail that it's almost nerve wracking. And what it does it in exploring the friendship between the two main protagonists, it also contemplates what society looked like and how it evolves in the lifespan of these two women. And, you know, it's uh it tells the story of, of obviously of, of a culture, of, you know, of a little village, of the little families and the intricacies of those relationships and the hierarchies and um and how all of these external elements inform the language of the friendship as well. And uh and just how just to sum it up in, in the thing that I would take away as the most important thing, just how important female friendships are. And sometimes they can be dangerous um, emotionally, but they really forge um, women in a way that is, is really quite unique.
0: And, and so, so the book is about growing up in Naples. You were you grew up in Milan? Is right? I grew
1: up in Milan. I, I spent time in Naples, obviously. Um, and uh, love it. But I, I didn't grow up in that kind of... Well, I didn't grow up in the 50s, but, um, but it's not so much that. I mean, the, the cultural difference between Milan, um, a, a Milanese upbringing, and a Neapolitan one is still really diverse. It's just a different way of expressing life, and uh, the, the folklore is quite different. Northern Italy... Is its own thing, and I know that Milan in particular is made up of a lot of immigrants. So there are a lot of Neapolitans, for example, and, and Southern Italians that uh, have made Milan the great city that it is. But really, it is a Northern Italian city with a Northern Italian climate and microclimate, and landscape, and the the duress of that landscape as well, which is, um, you know, it it it's something that you grow up with, and then when you abandon Milan or leave Milan for a while and, and explore the rest of Italy, you're like, oh, look at these rolling green hills and uh, what is this? And, and you know, and the, the conviviality that Italian culture is known for um, and that jovial spirit and the chaos and f- five people on a Vespa, that, you don't see that in Milan. You see that, however, in the streets of Naples and the surrounding villages. And you can just imagine how unbridled that would have been in the 50s and the 60s and the 70s. Um, I mean, I remember driving in Naples once, and this was, it would have been the late 90s. And I was, there was a, a person from Naples in the car with me, but I was driving. I was petrified. I was, you know, only had my license for a few years and. Um, you know, I was used to driving in Milan, which is you know, there's a red light, you stop, and where she was like, no, no, but you, you know, I mean, yeah, you check, but you can still go.
0: It's a suggestion, <laughs> it's a not a suggestion. an order. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so, in reading um, my brilliant friend, and, and they did they did a uh, uh, an adaptation in, into uh, a TV series, which was which was very cleverly done, um, and beautifully cast. Beautifully shot, but somehow, the language um, of Elena Ferrante's uh, I- intimate um, intentions could not be completely reflected. So, I mean, that's a beautiful thing to watch if you if you can find it, but if you can get your hands on the book, if you if you if you want to, you know, get completely stuck into the rabbit hole of this really. Deep and complex friendship, and then, but what I love about the book is that, um, it 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 takes you away from the friendship as well, and but then you always know there's this undercurrent. Yes, but what is Lila doing right now? You know what I mean. Even if the stories about the other character for so long, and and then you know they 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 embark on your things and they grow up and they experience things, and you go like, oh, if only they had stayed friends at this point, they could have, you know, it. it it's more than sisterhood in a way. It's almost like a, it's a witchy thing. It's, um, yeah, I don't know. I think I've, I've the, the females in my life are just really under my skin and I think this book really represents that. So,
0: so tell us a little bit more, if you don't mind, about your early years and, and brothers, sisters, uh, early childhood friends. Has it lasted the move to Australia? Et cetera? What were you like as a young family? As a young girl. Uh, I've,
1: got a, I've got an older brother and an older sister and, you know, grew up in Milan, two-bedroom apartment, shared the same bedroom uh, until such time when we moved out, which, you know, it's Sicily, so you don't move out that early. <laughs> I couldn't wait, though, mainly because of the bedroom, not because I didn't want to be in mum and dad's house, which was a lovely apartment. Uh, mum and dad still live in the same apartment. They, they,
0: today they are still... Yeah, yeah. Oh, it's lovely. So yeah. when
1: I go back, I go back there. And so when I go back, I reconnect with all my childhood friends and my high school friends. In fact, my brother married my best friend from high school.
0: Wow. I know. That's wow. So your so... best friend is now your sister-in-law? I know.
1: It's just it's just magical. <laughs> it is magical. Because I remember the day when we were 16 and she came over to my house to do homework, which we weren't. Uh, and then my brother, you know, drops into the kitchen to get something. And, you know, it was Super tall, slender, long hair down to here, and you're just like brooding, and um, you know, Johnny Depp-esque in the '90s, yeah. The mix between Johnny Depp, and they used to, to think he looked a lot like Antonio Banderas. So okay, not too shabby. Um, and then he leaves the room, and my friend goes like, Minchia, which is Italian for "Holy shit!" Oh, oh, <laughs> "Holy fuck!" Like it's yeah. And I'm like, what? Your brother is hot. I'm like, what? That's <laughs> disgusting. No, he's not. And clearly he was. And But, you know, he didn't have time for her because he was older and hot, clearly. And so then cut to 13 years later, I get married. I invite to my wedding. And my brother is there. And they're both single. And they have not left each other's
0: side since. Oh, that's lovely! Why not? That's lovely. So when I
1: celebrate my wedding anniversary, they also celebrate.
0: <laughs> <laughs> now I have to ask you: um, Do you know the story about uh, Elena Ferrante?
1: Well, that that we don't really know the identity yes. of. I love that, it's, and it's, you know what?
0: I don't care. I don't want to no. know. Well, so from the from the year 1991 to 2016, it was a complete secret mm. who she or he was. And then a journalist, you know, spent his life trying to uncover and found out that she was a translator in the publishing house called Anita Raja and blew the gaff, um, which was a real shame. I and, think so too. And Anita was really pissed off. Fair so enough. That makes me want to ask you, um, how do you balance and what's your view on um, the, the the intersection between personal and public? So so you... you, you I mean, you're very, very successful in a whole host of fields, and and you've got a, a lovely family, and blah, blah, blah. And where does you blur the line? And are you happy with it? Unhappy with it? Is it difficult or easy?
1: Look, it's a really good question because I I am very mindful of it in the sense that um, be, where my uh, writing about food um, has taken me, it um, it has a flavor of family, a huge flavor of family, and so. I am really conscious of the fact that I have to share a bit of that and and also across um, my social media platforms, which are incredibly lively and connected with a lot of people. That seems to be the content that really unifies the people that want to spend, you know, 15 seconds with me on Instagram. And so I have... I, I, I don't like to curate that content in the sense that it's not authentic, but it's also, it's mine. And so I I, I give a little bit of it, but I keep a lot uh, private. But I, I you know, I, I give little snippets. I just give little moments. You know, it was Luna's birthday. I did Gush on, on Instagram and it was just beautiful to receive all this love for her because, you know, over the years, people that, that uh, invest in following someone, they, they know that she was born and then when she turned one and they love to participate. And I am really touched by it, you know. Um, it really adds a lot of um, value to my life. But um, I, don't, I, don't, I don't know if um, I could overshare, to be, to be perfectly honest. Yeah, you know, I try in- to keep my personal, like, love relationship a bit more private.
0: Ah, okay. No, that's interesting. So, yeah. so in terms of sharing your family, if it is, it's uh, the kids, it's, mainly yeah, uh, but, and the but, dog, but not, but not, and <laughs> not, uh, not any significant romantic partner that you might have.
1: I just, th- I just, yeah. I think that stuff. Um, I don't, look, it, very, very sel- seldomly, I, I do do that because I know it's, you know, it, it's important uh, to other people, but. I just I always feel like, Oh no, this is mine.
0: <laughs> yeah, you've got you've got to hold well, you haven't got to, but it it, it in many cases it's good to hold something back. Mm. Um, now, we're moving to your third choice on Five of My Life, and I am thrilled to announce that we are adding Metallica for the first time yes. to the Five oh, of really? My Life. <laughs> the very first time, the Five of My Life Spotify playlist, which is sensational. You've got to get involved with that, because uh. it, it, it's, it's a playlist that the algorithms wouldn't give you, because it's obviously of varied. Course. It's fantastic. And you have chosen the Power Ballad I know. and Nothing Else Matters. And I, I have to say that your first three choices, I I wasn't aware with... Of any of them, so uh, it's been a voyage of discovery. I've never heard, and nothing else matters. Stop it! Never heard it, and I've, I've now heard it now? about a hundred times. Yeah, yeah, love it, love it. But tell me why you chose it—the third single from their fifth album.
1: Okay, uh, well, obviously, there's a burning love for the band that um, um, compelled me to.
0: You're a metalhead. You don't look I like help. one. <laughs> I know, I
1: know. At heart, right? Exactly. Um, I just. Um, I think the song came out. I was I was in high school. It must have been, I don't know, ninety two, ninety-three. That album came out and everybody at my school talked about was the black album. Every single song in that album was unbelievable. And you know, we had Walkman's, like, you know, with the CD, we we you know it was the nineties. But, you know, in between lessons or during philosophy lessons, we'd be listening to Enter Sandman or The Unforgiven. And then, you know, track five or track six is this long foreboding E minor arpeggio that then opens up onto this baritone voice that just it just kills me. I can't even speak about it without getting goosebumps. Um, James Hetfield is, um, the lead singer and the rhythm guitarist. And he, he, he wrote the song and he, he didn't even think he was ever going to publish it. He just wrote the song while he was on tour That's with right. the band. And it was a bit like, oh, I'm a bit over all of this. <laughs> and he, I think he was missing his family and, um, he just, you know, put it down a few arpeggios and blah, 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 and his phenomenal bariton and then the drummer Lars Ulrich, his musical genius, heard it and it was like, um, "Dude, we are definitely recording this." And then it became probably the most uh, recognizable song. I wouldn't say it's my favorite, but it's 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 definitely really powerful because of the lyrics, because of the the vocals are uh, extraordinary, and because. <laughs> When it's performed live, what happens? Off- it's a very long song as well, which is something that is quite rare these days. But it's hardly ever performed in its entire life because what happens towards the end, is like this phenomenal guitar solo that then fades into. And Metallica fans are going to just love me for this right now. And those of you who don't know what I'm talking about, just bear with me. But the guitar solo then fades into the intro to Enter Sandman, which is like the, an anthem, really. And it's like when you watch them live and you go from and nothing else matters to, you go, you get to the end of Enter Sandman, you like need a blood transfusion. It's like it's an out-of-body experience. And um, I, it
0: just they just give me a lot of joy, those boys. I love hearing you talk with such, such passion. So, so tell me about your singing then.
1: Yeah, I, 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 funnily enough, when I was in high school, I used to be the lead singer of a metal band.
0: Nice. Give me the name of the band. Nice, we need the name nice. so we can we can research it on the dark web.
1: Oh, no, you wouldn't be able to find anything, I hope. It's called Glows in the Dark. Glows in the low. Dark. Yeah, there you go. But the problem being that I really have like this heavy metal heart, but I've always had an operatic voice like a you know a, a classical pure um, voice and so yeah it didn't quite gel with the what well, the repertoire but yeah so but um, do
0: you like performing is, it, is are you happy yeah. on stage in front of you know people under the spotlight or
1: I am it's it's equally um, elating and completely nerve-wracking. It's a combination of the two things that i cannot compare with anything else and it's um uh, oh, it's 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 quite addictive in the sense that um you know 99% of the time then the adrenaline kicks in and it makes you perform in the way that you you know you you trained for i think it means that you really care though i mean i've never once performed even like if it was like the a thirtieth run of the same show. I've never walked on stage for the first time on the night, not feeling that feeling in my stomach, going like, "Can I actually do this? I'm not gonna, I'm going to vomit." Yeah, and then most of the times you don't. <laughs> and yeah, it's um, it's a it's it, it's a phenomenal buzz that you get. And um, for people who are listening to this and and share this feeling, that it's. It's something that you try to recreate in all, in all parts of your life. And, um, and, you know, the cooking thing is, some, uh, uh, some people have questioned how so diverse, so different. It's like, it's not. It's just another expression of creativity. Yep. And then you get a meal at the end. So that's
0: very good. <laughs> well, so I'm, I'm glad you mentioned cooking because uh, dear old James Hetfield, who, who wrote uh, your song uh, mm. about... actually My miss- song. It's my song. Your song, is yeah. it? Uh, about missing his ex-girlfriend when he was on the, the road. Mm. And then he, he wakes up 10 years later and other people have imbued all this meaning on his song, which is true. So for them, it's, it's used by the military. It's used at funerals. It's mm. used in sporting occasions. Uh, and the wonderful capacity that humans have to imbue things with meaning. So mm. in my childhood food was tinned rubbish. It had no meaning apart from it stopped you starving. Uh, in your childhood and and in your latter life, food has got so much meaning. Would you mind just talking a little bit to, to, to the role it plays in your in your life, in your family, in your work?
1: All right. I just I just, I really come down from the height of talking about James Hetfield's voice <laughs> and performing it <laughs> Back to food. Um, (laughs) uh, It's funny because growing up in an Italian household, you know, everything is punctuated by the food offerings, whether they are like, whether it's a family feast or it's just bread and olive oil, but you don't notice it so much. It's just part of the language. Um, It's another expression of the love. Sometimes it's an expression of, you know, the spite here is your toast, Here's your bread with a side of bile I've burnt you know. it. yeah Enjoy. <laughs> 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 I ran out of time I, you know I was late for work but I still cooked for you but you know but food is always it's this currency that is used so much in Italian culture but it was only when I moved out of Italy that I discovered how meaningful it was and how completely you know um, imbued in, 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 in my DNA it, it was and um, and I think it's it's just because it just uh, creates all these memories, and it, a lot of the times it doesn't really matter what the food was. Maybe it was a terrible meal. Maybe it was spam out of a tin, but you had it at that time with a sibling or a, a and a friend of your brother's was there too, and all of a sudden they you know talked about this really hilarious thing and. You'll never forget that moment, and this is what food does. It just um, creates the occasion, and the occasion is almost always congregation or contemplation. Because I find that, I mean, the, the meals that I enjoy the most, even if it's like a pisto,se are the ones that I share with someone. But if I'm by myself, I always take that opportunity to then think about something. You know, it's it's never just a mindless chewing motion. There's always something going on and I just like it.
0: So this is messing with the format slightly because it's the five of my life, not the six of my life. But if you had to choose the meal that meant the most, you talk so movingly about connection that meant the most to you, what would you, if I put you on the spot, what would you say, Sylvia?
1: It's very easy, actually. It's my nonna's polenta. Um, Nonna, she... She could cook five things phenomenally and that was that. And so she would do them on rotation and on special occasions she'd whip up the polenta which would stop anyone in their tracks because what she'd do, she'd make like this slow-cooked sausage and pork rib stew and tomato sauce that she'd cook for hours and hours. So you, you come into her apartment and you're already like fainting and she would allow us kids to dunk a little bit of bread in as a little taster. And then she had she had one of those cauldron where she'd stir the polenta in, which is called payolo, which is dedicated to polenta stirring. And she would stir and stir for about forty five minutes. She was a tiny woman, but she had muscle power. And then, and she used to do. I don't know why, <laughs> my nonno or even like my dad, they wouldn't help her. I I got vivid memories of my nonna picking up this giant cauldron, and pouring the scalding hot polenta onto a massive wooden board, levelling it, leveling it slightly with a wooden spoon, and then she'd tumble the sauce on top. And then that's when the guys would carry the board to the middle of the table. We had no cutlery, we just had forks, and we'd just carve out our portion, and if you wanted some parmesan, you could have some parmesan. And then my nonna would have like a couple of really hot chilies that he would just cut into his little piece of... Um, of polenta and then we, you know, hack onto the ribs. So you're
0: making me hungry. Oh, it's just the best family meal. We're going to go to your uh, fourth choice, which is your place. And uh, I'm going to try and pronounce this right. Torricella.
1: That's perfect. Oh,
0: there you go. Torricella. I thought
1: thought you were going with the
0: other part of the... Uh, No, no, I'm I'm not going to try Bella Inra. Pelligna. Pelligna, which is three hours north of where your novel was set, three hours north of Naples it in is, yeah. uh, Italy. Tell us why you've chosen that on Five My Life.
1: Because that's my mum's village and my my maternal grandparents' village. And mum was born there in the mid-late 40s. I'd like to think I know her birth, yeah sort of do. Um, and, um, and she lived there until she was a teenager and she had an, a, a younger sister as well. And then that's when my grandmother, who was a really successful dressmaker in the area, she just realized that her daughters needed better opportunities that the village and the surroundings wouldn't offer. There were quite bright kids that could be an academic. And so she convinced her husband, who was intrinsically absorbed in the culture of the village, and he was the unofficial mayor of the village. Everybody loved my nonno, he was like a huge personality. She convinced him to move to Milan. Dreary, old, foggy Milan in the late 50s with nothing. They had... Nothing, and they couldn't even speak Italian. They spoke Abruzzese, which was the local dialect. And my mom, who was like, she aced everything at her school in Torricella Peligna, then she comes to Milan and she's got this thick accent and she's bullied by everyone. And um, and so that's the village that then they always return to for the summer holidays. And that's the village I've always returned to for my summer holidays. So the whole family would relocate to Torricella, uh, the start of summer. And the miraculous thing that would happen is that we would see my nonno, my nonno's like complexion, like the, gray, the Milan grey hue would just be replaced by this really happy, glowy, cheeky, rosy uh, new glow. And um and that would reflect, you know, his inner state. And um and it it, it will, it's always been so beautiful, you know. Even you know, as a child, as a teenager, and as a grown up, you know, the various stages. That village has never outgrown me, and never will. It's very tiny. I know everyone. A lot of people in the village are relatives. Um. And it's just a safe, safe place. It's beautiful from the pictures that it I is are just gorgeous.
0: Although a, a bit of a sad um, Second World War history. Oh Ugh.
1: gosh, yes, it was. It was. It was um, to pieces. In fact, my uh, grandpa's sister Adele, she she died during the bombing of um, of a village nearby, and she had five children, three of whom died with her. And um the two surviving children then um one of them migrated to Australia and I have now found my second cousins.
0: Oh fantastic. W- where? Know. Where?
1: In Auburn. <laughs> <laughs> I know. And they're in my new show, Cook Like Anytime. Oh, that's I know. Good. It's just it's it's just beautiful, beautiful. Because when I saw them, it was like there was this moment. Okay, so my mum told me that when I, you know, moved to Australia, I was like, I think we've got cousins in Australia. And she told me the story. So I just I put a call out on Facebook, as you do. My first TV show had just come out, made in Italy, and it was shot in that village, Torricella. So I said, this is a long shot, but I think I've got relatives in Australia. And I briefly gave the gist of the story. Within 15 minutes, someone sent me a message saying, I think I know your cousin. And then I had a book launch few weeks later and there was a a line of people with the books for the signing and then it's this woman and I said what's your name and she said Adele and then I look up and I'm like and I knew it was my cousin Oh, I just knew she just gave me that look like that Abruzzese stare and it was just so powerful so phenomenal
0: That's a gorgeous story Thank you Fantastic We come on to your fifth choice on Five My Life which is often my favourite because guests tend to get a bit more personal, mm. uh, and I think you might as well because you've chosen a necklace given by your late aunt. Tell us about that, Sylvia.
1: So my late aunt um, was my mum's middle sister. Then, when my my mum my and her family relocated to Milan, my nonno and nonna then had another daughter. So they had three daughters, two of which were born in the village. Uh, middle sister Rita. Um, she, you know, we all grew up together in Milan. In Close proximity of each other. Um, she died really young, uh, really unfairly, and in suffering. And um, and that was um, ten years ago now, eleven years ago now. And um, she was the kind of person that you you know you catch up and you say, "Oh Zia, that's a really nice necklace," and she'll just take it off and give it to you. And she did that with. So many things that oh, like, I love that bag. <laughs> like, so I stopped saying that I like things that she had because uh, I, you know, it was like you know, made me very self conscious that she would just give it to me. Uh, but that's uh, that was just her way to to show love and and um, and I don't know. It's um, I think you know when someone that is so crucial in 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 your upbringing and in the in the structure of your family. When they're taken away, uh, look at any age. Obviously, there's, there's. It's never easy, even when they're really old. But when they're young, and then she, she had grown children, but they hadn't, you know, they hadn't had their babies yet. So she missed out on all this stuff that then my mum now gets to enjoy with her grandchildren, and my other auntie gets to enjoy, and and it's like this, like this. It's been, you know, 11 years and there's still a bit of residual anger okay. that it was just not fair.
0: Uh, and what, what happened, if you don't mind me asking?
1: She, she was diagnosed with breast cancer when she was in her 40s and, um, and then it returned a few times. And then by the time she was in her mid-50s, it got to her liver and her body was so debilitated by all the chemotherapies she had gone through and the radiotherapy, and it just shut down. Mm. We were so used to her fighting it off that when it happened again, it was like, oh, yeah, she, she's going to be all right. And she, you know, she's like, she was one, one of those Italian proud lionesses, right? She's going to be fine. So it was like this really shock and like, okay, mortality is a thing. We're not invincible.
0: Yeah, you never know which bullet's got your name on it. Uh-huh. Gosh, um, there's one trick question on Five of My Life. Ooh, uh, I-, I didn't know that. <laughs> which is, who would you like to hear on Five of My Life next, and why?
1: Oh, gosh. Okay, just give me a second here, because <laughs> I can't pick James Hetfield, can I? <laughs> um, if, <laughs> it, could, it could be James Hatfield. It could if you be want. James Hatfield. I wonder if he knows that he wrote a song for me um, <laughs> um, I'll give you one It's a goodie I'd like to hear Richard Roxburgh Richard Roxburgh is, uh, is an actor <laughs> okay. Director is this, the, um, is this
0: the rake man?
1: He is, yes, yes Right I've, met, I've met him a few times. You've met nice. him a few times. Yeah, he's okay. quite
0: nice. Well, m- might you be able to put me in touch with someone who might have I'll, his number? I'll
1: get his people to get to your people. <laughs> I love
0: it. Uh, Sylvia, this has been an absolute joy uh, talking to you. Thank I have really, really uh, have loved hearing about your choices. I think your books are fabulous and I am going to continue to persevere with Simple Italian and the next time we meet I might make you some toast. Thank you.
1: I will appreciate it and we'll create a special moment.
0: (laughs) Thank you so much, Sylvia. (laughs) The Five of My Life was presented by me, Nigel Marsh. Producer, Alex Mitchell. Sound, production and theme music by Darcy Thompson and Matt Nicolish.